you're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Brady Burkett. And today we have Aaron Shapiro, CEO and founder of Carver Edison. Carver Edison is helping to create equitable stock ownership for the world's workforce. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. So we, we want to get into all things that Carver Edison is working on and understand how uh, your business works today. But it'd be great if you could give a background to our listeners, a little bit about you and how you got into uh, this space dealing with corporate equity plans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, so to start, I, I grew up in New York City, used to be a baseball player, spent my summers traveling the country playing baseball. Um, went to Babson, small little business school up in Boston, and, and right out of Babson, got hired as the first employee um, at a startup investment shop at the time, investing for nonprofits, endowments, and foundations. So very quickly, we went from about 150 million to over 4 billion in assets while I was there. And my job was to really run around looking at interesting ways to invest on behalf of uh, nonprofits. And while I was in the institutional institutional investing world. It was actually my mom, who was a 30-year employee at a big uh, healthcare company, who sat me down and said, Aaron, you're a finance guy. I need help making more money. Can you help me? And uh, I said, I don't know. What are the choices? And she had this thing at work called an employee stock purchase plan. And the way employee stock, uh, stock purchase plans work is uh, you have money taken out of your paycheck, generally every two weeks for a six-month period. And at the end of that six-month period, the money you've contributed goes towards buying stock at a 15% discount off the lower of the starting or the ending price in that six-month period. So let's say on January 1st, your company's stock is at $10. And by June 30th, it's at $100. You can buy stock at a 15% discount off $10. So you can buy stock at $850 that's worth $100. Or conversely, if the company's stock starts at 100 and goes to a dollar, you can buy stock at 85 cents. That's worth a dollar, which to me at the time in the institutional investing world was absolutely insane. It it was the opportunity any hedge fund would kill to have access to. Um, So I started doing some more work on these plans and realized in um, for my own mom, who had access to one of these plans for, for many years. She missed out on over a million dollars by not being able to participate in her company's stock plan. So really set out on a crusade to solve this problem for people just like my mom, employees everywhere who just so happen to work for publicly traded companies and have the opportunity that any uh, hedge fund or institutional investor would kill that access to. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a, a massive opportunity if you know, just your mom was, was missing out on a million dollars of wealth. So for for our listeners, I'm sure some are familiar with corporate equity plans um, and you know employee stock purchasing plans. Uh, can you just give a, a high level overview of the the dynamics of that market, right? Because we're we're talking about these Fortune 500 companies. They have huge shareholders. What's their incentive to let employees buy at these discounts? Are they losing money? Um, can, can you just give a, a, a overview of maybe the history and the dynamics of that? aspect of, of working for these large companies? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe to, to go even a step higher than that, uh, let me just give some quick background on employee stock purchase plans. So employee stock purchase plans are actually really America's first modern financial benefit. Um, they were first rolled out uh, in, call it version 1.0, in the 1920s. John Rockefeller at, at Standard Oil actually rolled out what many believe to be the first version of an employee stock purchase plan. And then they were written into the tax code in 1964. Um, and as you think about kind of where the world was in 1964, in the 10 years leading up to 64, the equity markets had returned about 10% a year on an annualized basis. And there were massive uh, civil rights issues. When you look at where we are right now, the world's in a very similar, a similar place. Equity markets have returned about 10% annualized for the past 10 years. And uh, obviously, there are huge social justice, social justice issues that uh, we're trying to solve right now. So when ESPPs were first written into to the tax code, they were designed as a really powerful tool to help close that gap, to help provide working class people everywhere an opportunity to build meaningful wealth in a risk-adjusted way. And what's happened over the course of uh, several decades now is, is these things for a combination of sort of market and regulatory reasons have gotten buried under a lot of other, uh, a lot of other things out there, even though Congress understood when they wrote employee stock purchase plans the tax code that this in some ways was kind of a silver bullet to help try to solve uh, issues of wealth inequality. So as you look at employee stock purchase plans today in 2021, they're the exact same thing as they were in 1964, which at the time, uh, the Civil Rights Act hadn't, hadn't even passed. So the world has obviously come a long way since then, and employee stock purchase plans are stuck in the past. So really what we're doing is, is helping modernize employee stock purchase plans and really bring the powerful wealth building opportunity uh, and shareholder benefits to some of America's largest employers. Yeah, and and you mentioned um, a few times tying these programs back to social justice and civil rights, and I think that's something that we want to touch on. Um, but but first, it, it would also you know be really interesting just to learn a little bit more about Carver Edison and and what you guys are doing, um, and as much detail into how you're doing as you're comfortable sharing. Um, and then we can come back and, and learn about, you know, why and who it's benefiting. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we at Harvard Edison, we're, we're a fintech company based in New York City, uh, and we help drive equitable stock ownership for the world's work for, workforce, particularly for employees of publicly traded companies. Uh, the way we do it is through uh, our proprietary technology called cashless participation. And what cashless participation does at a really high level is it helps employees of publicly traded companies own more stock without actually paying for it. And at a really high level, basically the way we make that happen through our technology is we maximize the purchasing power of employees by sending the company the difference between whatever employees are able to afford out of their own paycheck and whatever their company's planned maximum is. So as you think about what the net effect is, uh, for employees, management teams, and shareholders, kind of all the stakeholders involved in this equation here. The net effect for employees is generally we help employees own between 50 to 150% more stock than they would be able to own without us. For management teams, we usually move management teams 
a couple percent closer to their performance targets. And for shareholders, we actually drive uh, meaningful amounts of paid in capital onto the balance sheets of these companies that then they can use to reinvest and continue to grow the business. So as you think about uh, our impact and our value proposition, we deliver value to not just employees, but management teams and shareholders, which especially for publicly traded companies, it really takes uh, all three of those uh, to be able to deliver results. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an interesting point too, is to learn about kind of the, the benefits to the managers and shareholders, because it's, it's not as intuitive maybe as the benefit to the employee. You mentioned just you know, speaking about these employees that you can help them own 50 to 150% more of the stock they're entitled to. Can, can you give us just for context, like what, 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 are the, what are the average workers at these Fortune 500 companies or, or publicly traded companies earning? What does their stock purchase plan enable them to buy? Like, do, do you have a sense just in terms of the dollars and cents here that can bring impact to each of these individuals? Yeah, sure. So under, under federal law, people are allowed to contribute up to $25,000 a year to their company's employee stock purchase plan. Now, you have to back out the value of the discount from that. So for most plans, which are 15% uh, discount plans, that's about $21,250 a year. So as you think about um, uh, the tens of millions of people that work for publicly traded companies in the US and around the world, it's a, it's a gigantic number. Uh, and this, what seems like very sort of niche type market is actually a huge, huge market on a global scale. From a dollar and cents perspective, um, when you're buying, call it $21,250 a year of stock, not just at a 15% discount, but remember, because of what's called that look back feature, where you're buying it at the lower of the starting or the ending price, um, that really compounds really quickly, especially if you're lucky enough to work for a company that's growing. So to give you a real example of the impact that we've had, we've had, uh, uh, we've had people uh, on our platform turn uh, just about $3,000 into $115,000 over the course of 18 months because of cashless participation. And one of the things that's so interesting about it, especially for lower income uh, workers is what we've been able to see in our data is by using cashless participation, um, people are actually twice as likely to stay in the plan because they can finally afford it. Uh, and once they once they end up owning these shares, they actually are, depending on the company, about four to five times more likely to hold on to their stock because they can afford to ride out the volatility. So what we've done uh, quite literally is we've created uh, a, sort of a new type of financial product that uh, for some folks, we've helped them buy houses, pay for kids to go to college, but also to really have the luxury of being able to hold stock long term, which there are a lot of great companies out there, um, uh, especially in in the robo space. Betterment is, is one of them that... Um, that has really pioneered the power of long-term compounding wealth. And specifically in uh, company stock ownership, um, we've created a product that actually makes it possible for people to do that. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, an interesting point here too. Um, slight, slightly tangential, but when these employees are building up um, a profile or, or a portfolio, excuse me, of 
um, their company shares. Do like from from your investment experience, do you do you think about diversification or like how does that factor into um, what folks are able to do with um, their portfolios there? It, it, it's huge, and and naturally, I mean, when you work for a company where your paycheck is coming from the company. Being really thoughtful about your exposure to the underlying equity is important. And one of the things that's so uh, powerful about cashless participation is with a regular employee stock purchase plan, if you put money into the plan and the stock price goes down more than 15%, you start losing money on your investment. But all of a sudden, with cashless participation, because you now own all these extra shares that you didn't pay anything extra for, this, the underlying stock price would have to go down more than 50% in a lot of cases before you broke even, which is just remarkable. So what we do is at the same time, we're giving people more opportunity. We're able to also provide more cushion against market volatility. Um, so if the market goes south, people are, are protected. And I think that combination is something uh, we've been proud to build into our product. And uh, I, I know there are a lot of other great fintech companies out there that are, are being thoughtful about how to include features into their products that are um, that protect people when things go south. Um, for example, credit cards where you lose a job, uh, where payments are, are temporarily on pause, those kind of things. So I, I'm proud to be to to be part of kind of the broader fintech ecosystem, building these really. Um, really cool products that help people, especially in times when, uh, when markets are going south. Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes a ton of sense. So we, we briefly talked about the benefits that Carver Edison's cashless participation can bring to managers and shareholders of these firms as well. I think at first glance, you know, I, I might, I might've thought, Hey, this, this kind of isn't that great for shareholders because employees are getting this 15% discount on stock that they would have, you know, bought through the the public market and drove the price up. But, but I think you touched on the, the aspect of the additional paid in capital helps, um, helps the firm invest in future growth. So I'd be curious if you could potentially elaborate on that, but also just, you know, speaking, I'm assuming you're selling this platform or, or opportunity to managers of companies, how you align the incentives, um, particularly with the theme we talked on earlier, um, you know, social justice and, and equity, if you could sort of touch on all of those aspects of, of why this program is, is so beneficial to the company as well and not just the employees. Yeah, let, let's start on the social justice and equality piece of this. Employee stock purchase plans by law actually have to be broad based. So everyone at the company has to have the same rights and privileges. And it's been that way since 1964. But what happens is there's actually a little bit of self-selection that happens because people who can afford to participate, participate, and those who can't have to sit on the sidelines. So what we do is we give uh, these publicly traded companies a really actionable way to not just ensure that everyone at the company is finally able to participate in the plan, but that they're able to do it responsibly, eh, responsibly, because what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to have uh, maybe an employee who, who's making minimum wage take all this money out of their paycheck and put it into it to the company stock. So with cashless participation, uh, employees finally have a safety net, so they don't have to get ahead of their skis 
but can actually participate at the same time. From, um, from a, a management perspective, when you look at um, incentive stock option plans, there are a lot of hard and fast metrics like EPS, for example, that uh, management teams of publicly traded companies are rewarded on. And one of the things that's so special about cashless participation is we not just drive paid in capital onto the balance sheet, but because of the way our technology works, we're actually able to reduce the compensation expense that these companies have to record on, on their income statement um, by, uh, depending on the company, by north of 50%. So what we're doing is we're finally making it possible for companies to take in cash rather than just giving out equity and getting nothing back like RSUs or stock options or that kind of stuff. Um, but also from a financial reporting and a metrics perspective, we actually, in a lot of cases, uh, help companies boost their reporting metrics as well, uh, just because of the accounting, um, the accounting treatment. Yeah. So, so I guess that that's a, an interesting point. Um, I, you know, it, it'd be interesting to hear how you guys manage this, this cash management, right? You're, you're paying into the firm and, and how that's treated from an accounting perspective and um, what your relationship with those companies looks like. And, and also just to get a sense of where your biggest champions are coming from, because it sounds like it's both, you know, the HR department, whether it's um, just general employee wellness or a diversity and inclusion goal um, to, to get folks bought in, or if, if you're really getting like the number people, the numbers people at a company bought in because of all the benefits um, to, to the management um, and, and the shareholders too. Yeah. So one of the cool things about employee stock purchase plans is they touch uh, a lot of different stakeholder groups within a company. They touch HR, they touch finance, treasury, accounting, legal, um, everyone kind of has buy-in. And, and one of the things that I think has been driven by some of the secular tailwinds is everyone is aligned to take action to help drive equitable ownership. Uh, obviously, with COVID, there have been a lot, of, um, a lot of stories in the news about um, executives who have, um, who have made uh, a lot of money from stock. And that's the point because they've grown their business. And we want to make sure that employees on a broad base are able to share in that growth as well. And Congress understood back in 1964 that it made sense for employees of public companies to become owners in a risk-adjusted way, but you'd have to do it in a way that made sense for the company. And, and we've been able to, um, to crack the code there. So um, it, it's a really exciting time. And uh, I'm really excited and, and proud of all the work our team has been doing um, to work with our clients, our partners, uh, and our champions to to really help change the way uh, stock ownership works for the world's workforce. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so you know, just to to touch on um, recent trends, right? I think it's no surprise anyone who's plugged into the investment space is you know the rise of of this kind of retail trading frenzy. You know, Robinhood users and and driving up kind of speculative shares. Obviously, you guys sit in a completely different end of the market, you know, looking at sustainable wealth building over time. Um, but I'm curious if you just have thoughts on, on that market dynamic, wh where you think it's coming from, um, if it impacts what you guys are doing at all. Well, I think it's, I think it's a really a broader kind of fintech ecosystem. And I, I know your, your listeners, for the most part, are, are fintech insiders. So 
Um, what's really cool about it is to think about kind of how we got here. I mean, back in 2008, when Betterman and Acorns and, and many others were launching, they set out so that to build products so that the next time the world kind of fell apart, pe- people would be a lot more comfortable with their finances and they would have the tools and the resources to make decisions and hopefully the right decisions. And fast forward, you know, 10 plus years, that thesis has actually played out where with COVID, a lot of people were, were stuck at home and pulled out, pulled out their phone and started actively making decisions around investing, which there are a lot of folks on both sides of that argument. Um, I, I don't necessarily have a side. I, I think to me, one of the things that's cool about it is just the fact that people felt that they could do it, uh, whether right or wrong. People actually took it took action and uh, were more engaged than ever. And obviously, there have been some great success stories that um, that have come out of it. So I think what what has happened over the course of the past ten years, the fintech ecosystem truly has positioned uh, the market and, and millions of people across the country and beyond to finally feel like they have the tools to take action and make their own decisions. Um, and I think the next, uh, the next wave of that ecosystem is really going to be about making sure that um, all of the, the different uh, opportunities that people have access to um, are being uh, used efficiently because there, there's yeah. still so many powerful opportunities out there that for one reason or another, um, people just haven't been able to access, uh, whether it's the stock market, employee stock purchase plans, um, or even beyond. And, and it's really cool to see um, kind of all that coming together. So I, I'd say more than anything, this is a fintech ecosystem story, which has taken you know the better part of a decade. But the truth is, it's worked. And for the most part, I think everyone would say it's worked pretty well. And I think the next 10 years are going to be even more exciting. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of the topics we touch on is really the democratization of financial services to say, you know, a, a buzz catchphrase. Um, but but the the other element of that that I think, you know, people are expecting to keep up, right? You can reduce barriers to access, but how do you also um, you know, enhance the information provided so that people are are doing things the right way? And I'm curious, you know, you're offering cashless participation is a great program for employees and companies, but, you know, you, you've built this technology platform. What elements of education do you guys have to provide either to the stakeholders at your companies who are, who are your, your clients and customers or um, to the employees participating? Like, how, how do you guys think about that education element, too? Yeah, it's a great that's a great question, and uh, one of the things that's a little bit unique about uh, employee stock purchase plans is these things are offered offered on a global basis. So what that means is to drive education on employee stock purchase plan for a multinational company, you don't just need to do the education in English, but you have to do it in fifty four different languages for countries around the world. So we've actually built uh, an education platform called Carbon um, that's kind of like a Netflix-style SaaS platform that allows publicly traded companies to build, launch, and schedule equity education uh, campaigns uh, and get them out there in, um, uh, to employees in over 100 countries. So 
that is another huge, huge challenge, which especially when you're educating not just someone in the U.S., but maybe someone um, in the Philippines or in India or China or you name the country, um, these plans are truly global, um, which is why we don't just provide um, uh, cashless participation that finally makes it people uh, makes it possible for people to access their company's plan, but we also provide the corresponding education on a localized basis across the world using some pretty powerful technology um, to help uh, to help people understand what's going on. Yeah, that's pretty neat. So you know, at, looking forward, uh, I'd be curious. You know, I'll let you take it how you want. Either Carver Edison specific things on your roadmap you're excited about. Or, you know, if you have thoughts on the future of corporate equity plans and, and kind of, you know, things evolving in that space, what should our listeners, you know, look for in this space? Yeah, I, I, I think one of the most exciting things happening uh, in the corporate ex- equity space, of course, is cashless participation. I mean, cashless participation has really rewritten uh, several decades of history on employee stock purchase plans which again is uh, a huge, huge market. And I think what you're going to continue to see uh, from us in the broader corporate equity ecosystem is really the widespread adoption and uh, call it uh, equality push for equity plans generally. RSUs and options have been around for a really long time. They're incredibly dilutive uh, and they're generally reserved for a very small subset of employee populations. Cashless participation is going to lead the way uh, in the global charge for um, for equitable stock ownership. And I think ten years from now, hopefully, when a listener is looking back at, at this conversation, I think what they'll see is we led the way in helping the world's workforce build meaningful wealth in in a risk adjusted way, while at the same time proving to the world that that doesn't have to come at the expense of shareholders. And, and it's truly possible to create value for shareholders while also doing good for employees at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. All good things in this world start with an episode on the Payments Innovation Podcast. So you heard it here first. Now it's, it's been a, a pleasure to have you on, Aaron. Um, how, can, how can folks get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch is go to our website, uh, carveredison.com. Feel free to reach out through, uh, through our website uh, or shoot me a note, Aaron at carveredison.com. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Thanks. Really enjoyed it. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at CurrencyCloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.